This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 19th of July, 2021. Norman, you said something last week that got me thinking. You said that the average person had like 10 contacts a day when they're doing contact tracing for when people test positive to COVID-19. And I started thinking about the things that I do on an average day, even in COVID times, even being sensible. And I feel like there are tens and tens of people that I would come into contact with over the space of three or four days, which could be someone's infectious period. And we've had some feedback on that. I mean, there was a number that was bandied around last year, and it was an average number, because some people don't mix with anybody very much during the day. They're pretty much isolated, and some people do a lot. And the feedback I've had is that it's actually a lot more than that. And it's maybe as much as 60 or 70 for some people contacts a day. But on the other side, there is actually this number of people you have contact each day, the feedback I'm getting from people who are doing the contact tracing is saying they're starting to see the effect of lockdown, particularly in Victoria. When the Victorian outbreak began, it's only a few days old, but it was up in the 60s and 70s. And already with lockdown, they're seeing the number of contacts reducing dramatically in one centre from 100 down to six or seven. So it's, it's really a dramatic reduction. And that's the idea here is that when you stop us mingling with other people, we are not seeing as many people during the day and we're not potentially passing it on to others. And that's really quite a dramatic measure. It also tells you how much easier we're making it for contact tracers who can be overwhelmed by this. I mean, just think of these contact tracers. They're, you know, they're doing the best job they possibly can. If you're adding, as in New South Wales, 20 or 30, well, nearly 30 cases a day, and that's not moving down. Are these are of the people who have been out and about in the community and so need contact tracing done. That's right. And just think every day you're adding on another X number of contacts, whatever that number actually is, but it's probably more than 10. It's an enormous task for contact tracers. Therefore, it's no surprise that over the weekend, the New South Wales government asked other jurisdictions to help out and add some of their contact tracing resources to it. And I've certainly heard anecdotally that the New South Wales contact tracing system is under a lot of stress, not because it's inadequate, but simply because of the workload they've got. That's so interesting. But okay, so if people are, are truly only seeing maybe six or seven people a day as opposed to 60 or 70, like you just said, why have we not seen that number in Sydney of people who've been out and about in the community while infectious dropping below around the 20s? It's kind of been stubbornly there for quite some time. Well, given that the only effective way to actually shift that needle is actually social distancing and separation from other people, the only logical conclusion you can come to is that that separation from others has not been strict enough and therefore it's allowed people to mingle with other people and get out there and catch it from others. So these people have caught it from others, they've been out there mingling, they've not been found by contact tracers early enough and um, the assumption then is that it could well be the combination of a stretch contact tracing system and the fact that people are not separating as much as they should be. So over the weekend, we've also seen some really tough restrictions come into place in some certain specific areas in Sydney where the risk is high. It's probably too early to see what's going to happen with those, but when should we expect to see the, the numbers start to drop in Sydney? The, the one thing I wanted to say there, in addition to that, when you're seeing this 25 to 30 odd cases a day who've been out there in the community, that's what happened five to seven days ago. 
remember that just you can never forget that the numbers we see each day are not today's figures. They're actually reflecting human behavior five to seven days ago. So if these new restrictions are going to help, you'll see that in five to seven days from now. So basically next weekend, you won't see it before that. And the controversy over shutting down the, these three local government areas in southwestern Sydney is, first of all, the virus is probably all over Sydney. Yes, there's a concentration in those areas. You've got to think about the communities and what they feel like being picked out for this. So they're, therefore, they're being targeted pretty much the way the Northern Beaches were targeted and whether or not actually it is going to be enough to target those suburbs or those local government areas when it's over the city. So you don't need very many people spreading outside those three sub outside those three local government areas to continue to have a problem. There's a logic behind confining it to those local government areas, but there's also a problem is that they're, the borders are loose as they were in Victoria during the second wave. The virus is all over the city and you just need one or two spreaders elsewhere and it's really been pretty pointless just locking down those three local government areas. It is tricky though, isn't it? Because you don't want to unnecessarily lock people right down like that. You really don't know whether these measures were the right ones to take or not until after the fact. Yeah, but there's a social price to pay when communities feel victimised. Why are they the ones and nobody else? So Sydney's not the only place in Australia that's under lockdown measures at the moment. Of course, uh, Victoria is as well. And the case numbers are nowhere near as, as big as they are in Sydney, but they're still concerning. Yeah, they're still fairly resistant to change at the moment and new things keep on popping up. And yesterday they reported a case that they were worried about in Mildura and which I think goes back to the MCG and whether or not they've actually categorised people as tier one and tier two contacts correctly. And there may, there may have been a mis miscategorization there. So we'll know more about that as the day goes on today, no doubt. And the other interesting piece of data that to come out of Victoria, well, there's lots of interesting things to come out of Victoria other than speculating whether or not they're going to come out of lockdown tomorrow, which I think is probably unlikely, is the age spread. So the age spread yesterday of the local cases were, was really very much in younger people. Uh, four cases in people aged 10 to 19, two in 20 to 29, six cases aged 30 to 39, three, 40 to 49, only one case over 60s, between 60 and 69. This is a pattern we saw last year, which is that the coronavirus does infect younger people, no matter what the kind of coronavirus it is. But you're also seeing this Delta virus internationally moving into younger age groups, including childhood, partly because older age groups are immunized, but maybe it's got a predilection there as well. So there, there could be things that affect the statistics in Victoria, such as a couple of schools involved, although one, it's largely teachers rather than children, but students. But an interesting indication of the way things are going to move with Delta towards the younger age groups. One of the big things that we heard last year was that it didn't, it wasn't bad in young, in young kids. Is that still the case? Do we know how these kids are going? There are young people in intensive care in, in, in New South Wales. Not that young though. 23-year-old admitted with low oxygen levels to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. How, how, long do you want, how young do you want to go? So, of course, we know uh, vaccination is one of our big keys out of the pandemic. We've said that so many times, I don't even want to count it. But if I did and someone was going to give me a nickel for each time, maybe I would want to count it. Anyway, we are looking at vaccine shortages in Australia, especially for younger people. But we had an email from people whose names I won't read out saying uh, they and their partner, they're both 20 years old, managed to, in inverted commas, jump the queue today by getting a leftover Pfizer doses at their local vaccine hub. 
because they were left over. And they are sort of maybe concerned that they might have done the wrong thing. They're not sure what the systems are in place. And it actually got us talking, Norman, because we don't really know what the systems are in place either. When it's the end of the day, there are spare doses available. They must be used that day. What systems exist to make sure that those are allocated effectively? Well, I know in Israel they had a text system so that people could be texted at the end of the day if there were leftover doses. And, and where this comes from is that once you've diluted the vaccine in the vial, which you get a few doses out of, um, you've got to use it within a certain number of hours. And if it's towards the end of the day, then you've got to use it. And it, that, the person who got that shouldn't feel guilty at all. I mean, they've just mopped up spare doses that might have gone to waste. You should not feel the slightest bit guilty about doing that. And that's perfectly legitimate. And it means Pfizer doses are not going to waste. Uh, the disturbing thing I heard, and it was I must stress it, it was anecdotal, was of a, of a clinic in, not a state clinic, but a private clinic in Victoria. It had a lot of doses spare. And to their credit, they were putting it out there for people who wanted to come in to actually have them. Um, and a stress that was anecdotal, just made me wonder what actually is happening now that Pfizer is going into general practice and what systems exist in general practice. And regardless of what governments may say systems are, we'd love to hear from you. Yes. If you've got a if you've got some insight into how this system works, please let us know at abc.net.au slash coronacast. Norman, why would doses be going to waste? Well the question is how many doses? I think in general practice it's unlikely there are many spare doses at the end of the day. The number of people booking in an individual general practice is going to be small, and they're probably only opening a vial and diluting it um, as they need it. And therefore, the likelihood that they're going to have any more than three, four, or five doses at the end of the day is unlikely. It's not going to be hundreds. The, um, The issue, though, is if thousands of general practices have five or six doses available at the end of the day, that's a huge number of Pfizer doses that potentially could be used. So there's no problem, there's plenty of people to have it, or what What are we doing? That would be the interesting thing to know. I think in vaccine hubs, where there are large numbers going through, and you've got pharmacists drawing up large numbers of vials ready for injection into people, and they're trying to they tailor that to the people coming in, and maybe there are some no-shows, at the end of the day, you may actually have 10, 15, 20 doses available. I don't know what the numbers are. It'd be really interesting to hear. And it's the real world experience rather than the official story. Yes. So send us a message at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And thank you to all of you who've been writing and telling us your vaccination stories. It sounds like there are a lot of people out there who are really stoked to be getting their vaccines as well we should. And thanks for sharing those with us. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 